Was there any thought about whether you should play these songs as they were played on the record or expanding on each of the songs? I think we approached it as we've always approached uh, material from any of our records. We used the recorded version as a schematic, um, certainly, um, but more often than not, um, once once we get a few plays under our belts uh, live on stage, the songs start to morph into something um, something more, something different. Uh, they always do with us. You know, we've never been a band that, uh, you know, connects the dots. You know, it's always, uh, we're always sort of like working, you know, tangents within a framework. You know? Yeah. And um, and Edges of Twilight, uh, it's, it's no different. Uh, we're really now hitting our stride uh, playing the records uh, from top to tail. But um, these songs have taken on... Um, a whole new personality, um, especially ones that we've uh, we've never really included in our live sets in the past, like, for instance, um, uh, Turn the Lamp Down Low and Drawing Down the Moon, things like that. So, um, it's, it's a pleasant surprise to the three of us how they've um, evolved in such a short like span of time, like the last two weeks. What was it like when you had to relearn some of these songs? <laughs> did, you, did you have to really start from scratch, or did it, is it muscle memory? Um, well, it's a little bit of both. Jeff Rose talking. Um, you know, it, it's not often you go home and and listen to your your album top to bottom over and over. It's something that we haven't probably done with this album in 20 years. So um, once we got into it, and and especially the ones like Jeff said that we hadn't really performed, um, you know, it, it just sorts of it sort of comes naturally. You sort of remember when you were actually writing it back back in the day and, and learning parts and so on. But the songs have taken on such a evolutionary uh, sort of process that it almost feels like we're not really quite done writing the songs and we're trying to get to that perfect song. It's, it's kind of interesting the way it works out. I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but I want to ask you, when you went back and listened to the record and prepping for this whole thing, would you change anything? Was there a temptation to get in there and, and change something if you had the opportunity? Um, no, Paul. I, I would say that, uh, <clears throat> you know, what The Edges of Twilight represents is a, a snapshot, you know, in time. And um, it's it's a moment in our career <clears throat> that the three of us <clears throat> should and certainly are very, very proud of. You know, I mean, you have to think back. We were, we were probably, you know, 25, 26 years old. And um, but to pull off a record like that with all the instrumentation and um, and it was pretty daring, you know, for the time because a lot of rock bands, you know, were just doing like uh, it was sort of the tail end of the grunge era and everything. And uh, here comes the Tea Party, and we just did something totally out of left field. But uh, you know, now it's um, now it's it's become such a statement that uh, you know, like uh, like for instance, with Splendor Solace, our first records. Um, we were getting compared, you know, to Life That Balloon, and I was getting compared to, you know, Jim Morrison and things like that. Yeah. But when Edges of Twilight came out, it's it's sort of um, um, it's patented um, what was uh, what was and what was to become the Tea Party sound. You know, so much so that uh, even to this day, if a rock band comes out and does anything that sounds remotely Middle Eastern or has uh, East Indian influences or things like that, so now they get compared to the Tea Party. Uh, listen, I thought, you know, maybe for the Tea Party fans, since this is the 20th anniversary of uh, The Edges of Twilight, that maybe we go down these songs, this list of songs, one at a time, as if we're listening to the record. 
I'm kind of looking for some background where your heads were at. What was the, you know, was, you know, what is behind the, each of these songs? Okay, you know, what's the story behind, let's say, Fire in the Head? That's the opening track on the album. Um, well, Fire in the Head <clears throat> takes its title from a book, um, an, an author named Tom Cohen. Um, the book Fire in the Head was about the, uh, um, the comparison uh, or the comparative uh, science arts uh, between um, um, Native American shamanism and uh, Celtic magic. So it was things that I was uh, interested in back then, and I still am to this day. Um, but musically, um, I was um, I was experimenting because um, you know I'm very much like a, a sonic junkie alchemist. You know, like I, I love finding new sounds, and um, I was experimenting with um, um, direct um, electric guitar sounds, but uh, oversaturated using compressors and things like that. It might start sounding a little bit too technical. But uh, that's where that um, you know those harmonics uh, that came out on the on the the lead guitar on Fire in the Head it was something that really excited me, and um, and also um, I discovered that old uh, keyboard um, called a Mellotron that was you know famously used by the Moody Blues and um, you know um, Rolling Stones, Beatles, Led Zeppelin you know kind of went out of fashion in the 70s and the 80s, but uh, it was just such a haunting keyboard sound that. Uh, I wanted to bring it back, and um, so we put all those elements together, and uh, I think it was basically it was the first song that was written for the Edges of Twilight. I do believe, perhaps "Walk with Me" was. Yes, I don't know, but um, but it was it was certainly it was uh, it was exciting for all of us. Like uh, the, the demo of "Fire in the Head," um, when people get the reissue of the Edges of Twilight on disc two, you can hear the demo that was created. Um, in old Montreal at our studio, and uh, it's not far off from what uh, was finished in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, actually, when we were recording in Los Angeles, they have a Mellotron at A and M Studios, yeah. and uh, I was playing the part in, and the machine had a problem. Yeah. So uh, we decided we couldn't use that Mellotron, so we had to hire in like this top of line sampler unit that was used at the time, so it was digital. It wasn't the analog thing anymore. So I go grab a coffee, and A uh, and M. It's a multi-complex studio across the hall. Neil Young's working with Pro Jam. We're working with Roy Harper on our album. I go grab a coffee, and Neil Young's there, and he says to me, "Sounds pretty cool what you're working on in there. None of that digital stuff." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I didn't funny. have the heart to tell him that you know we weren't using the real Mellotron. So that's great uh, track two in the record is The Bazaar one of the more exotic singles from the Tea Tower Party tell me about that one um, well The Bazaar was um, inspired by um, um, Turkish um, folk music I was listening to a lot of that uh, back then um, eventually you know for when the when the record was finished we ended up going to uh, Istanbul Turkey for the first time where we where we shot the video for The Bazaar but Back in the uh, the inception of, of the song, um, I, uh, there's a there's a Turkish instrument. Uh, it's called a saz. It's a long necked um, lute that's played in Turkish folk music, and um, <clears throat> it's tuned in a specific way, you know, for their uh, for their modes and the keys that they play in. And so I took my um, I was fooling around with my 12 string acoustic that I had at the time, and I wanted to make it sound like a saz. So I figured out what the tuning was on the saz transposed it to the 12 string acoustic and then started playing those Turkish melodies. And then the, I still remember, like I was sitting in front of my fireplace in Montreal and I think uh, 
I think I wrote the riff to that song in probably like just 10 minutes. It was one of those things that just came out of the ether. And um, the words uh, flowed pretty uh, quickly after that as well. So mm. the funny thing about us, our, all our songs, you're learning things about your songs as your career progresses. And I just heard a story just two weeks ago on this tour about Jeff's guitar tech from Australia being in Istanbul, uh, perhaps with Nick Cave or another one of his artists. And he was uh, buying some rings in the bazaar and the guy said, you look like a rock star. What do you do? And he's like, well, I'm not a rock star, but I've worked with them, uh, work with many bands. Uh, my main band is the sort of Middle Eastern rock band. And the shopkeeper said, oh, like the tea party, the bazaar. Wow, that's great. <laughs> this guy in Istanbul knows the tea party. It's cool. Well, that's great. isn't that a great nod? Uh, let's move on to uh, track number three, uh, Correspondences. Tell me about that. Um, correspondences, uh, lyrically, um, uh, was very much influenced by the uh, the poetry of a, a French poet uh, from the late um, 1800s whose uh, name was Charles Baudelaire. Um, still a very big influence on my writing. Um, musically, uh, I think the three of us, we were always fans of you know like the sort of the more esoteric side of Pink Floyd and it was one of those things that uh, we were just jamming in a sound check I think we were in Europe or something um, on Splendor Solace tour the first tour and we just started I think we might have started with a Pink Floyd song like sort of like uh, you know uh, us and them or something like that and then it just morphed into more of a minor thing and then, of course, you know, the Tea Party, well, we can't help ourselves, so we have to make, like, you know, the chorus as big as possible, you know. And uh, so it's just it's a really beautiful song that really gets um, very dark and um, extremely um, weighty, you know, towards the ends. And um, it's, uh, it's certainly one of my favorites on The Edges of Twilight. I mean, I love the guitar solo. Um, I don't get tired of playing that guitar solo. Um that's one uh, I play piano on that one, and uh, I had to learn piano in between the first two records. So that song for me now is much easier to play. <laughs> you know, I think it'd be fair to say that so many of your songs are complex. How long does it take a, a Tea Party song uh, from start to end? Like, what's you know, songs in this record? How long? How long did it take to you know take a song like Correspondences and make it uh, make it evolve? Well, correspondence is, I, I think with what Stuart was saying, um, he logged hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours uh, into learning the piano and so on. And if you compare it to even um, a song most recently, like The Ocean at the End, um, its evolution is, you know, it, it starts with an acoustic guitar and, and Jeff's desire maybe to play the blues in that and to have a kick-ass solo or something like that. So, I mean... You know, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of weird. The songs continuously seem to evolve no matter how complete they feel once the album is done. And I feel that with songs like Correspondences, you start discovering new things about the song while you're playing it. So um, I don't know if they're ever really complete, to be honest. All right, let's move on to track number four on the album, uh, The Badger, the instrumental. Um, well, I was... Um... I was in Ireland. I was visiting Roy Harper and um, helping him on um, one of his records. 
And um, Roy has a beautiful, beautiful, um, um, <laughs> a beautiful property um, in um, County Cork, um, just overlooking, you know, rolling hills. And it's actually, uh, it's um, an 18th century abbey um, that was um, never quite finished, you know, so it's it's got this very gothic overtone to it, but the gardens are beautiful. It's very much like, you know, the song remains the same type of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and um and I was sitting out in the garden with my acoustic guitar, and obviously, uh, you know, we'd been going to the pubs every night and listening to uh, listening to these incredible musicians, uh, you know, like Irish folk music, and just the the quality and the level of musicianship in that country still astounds me to this day. And I was so inspired by it, and um, particularly um, the guitar playing of uh, and styles of guitarists such as uh, John Renborn and Burt Yanks, Davy Graham. And Roy Harper himself. That uh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to write like a fingerstyle um, instrumental uh, for the record because I knew how um, I knew how weighty the edges of Twilight was going to become. And you know, uh, with every with every great record, you have to have light and shade. You know, chiaroscuro as they call it. And so uh, this was one of the moments on the record to give it uh, some of that light. And uh, it was also the uh, the beginning of my love affair. And um, much to the chagrin of Stuart and Jeff, uh, my love affair of the instrument called a hurdy gurdy, which uh, you know introduces uh, the badger. It sounds like bagpipes in the distance, but it's actually, in fact, um, a French uh, medieval instrument. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's very, um, very special to me. Uh, next up on the record is uh, the song called "Silence." Uh, I think a lot of different instrumentation on that. There's a, a snake charmer. That we uh, someone had bought us actually. A fan started bringing us gifts of instruments, and we're like, "How are we going to stick this into a song?" Hmm. <laughs> so you get a bottle of vodka, you start playing the stuff, <laughs> you let the tape recorder roll, then you listen the next day. You're like, "What the hell is that?" Uh, are there times so, you... tonight? Let's try without the vodka, and we actually wrote the song. When you uh, go ahead. When you, I was going to say, when you when you listen back to some of these songs, do you find yourself going like? What the hell were we doing at this particular time? Do you do you have you forgotten certain parts of this record? Uh, well, it's always nice to hear the recorder. Yeah, sort of like you hear on some Motown songs in that song. And it's just like this little quaint little instrument in the midst of all this ruckus, you know. Yeah. So it was a nice touch, I thought. So. All right, sister, awake. Yeah, well, um, that's certainly um, you know it's become. Um, I guess it's become the the essence of what the Tea Party is. It still is to this day. Yeah. Um, it was inspired um, by a, a piece of uh, modern classical music by the Kronos Quartet. Um, um, they uh, did a collabora- collaboration with um, a very famous oud player from the Middle East called Hamza El-Din. His name was Hamza El-Din. And uh, this, uh, this composition called Water Wheel um, inspired me to uh, to basically um, go towards the the melodies uh, and uh, you know that became the rock part so the third movements of Sister Awake um, and essentially uh, the beginning was just um, um, just one of those melodies that just fell out of the sky for me um, you know or came out of the ether on the twelve string acoustic you know it was just a beautiful beautiful voicings on the 12 string that are just a melody easily fits over top of it 
And then um, the middle, the second movement of uh, Sister Wake, where all the percussion comes in, uh, it was the three of us being um, very, very inspired by the um, the live um, records film that um, the duo Dead Can Dance put out um, in the early 90s. Uh, this uh, album was called Towards the Within, and it really um, turned us on to um, multi-instrumentation and, and um, you know various styles of percussion and percussive instruments. And uh, we just wanted to make uh, we wanted to make the middle of Sister Wake with the percussion sound like you know Satan was coming down the mountain and you could <laughs> not get away from it. You know, <laughs> I remember recording the song with that Stasium as well, and uh, he used the term epic a lot because uh, he had to go to the second tape machine back then and sync it up. And then as the song progressed, we had to go get a third tape machine. So this song, you know, we had seventy two possible tracks i think we were into the upper 50s that we actually used so but uh you know very rarely do you see a song you know with three tank machines running in the studio that sounds like it could get uh frightening uh to get to build something that big uh, was there any fear when you start building tracks like that that the essence of the song might get lost in the middle of it or is that what the song is all about well you know speaking as the producer um what i hope is clear is that um even though the Tea Party's music, um, the soundscapes are very, very lush, yeah. you know, and the, there is a lot going on, but it's not overproduced. Like everything that is in a song is there for a reason, you know, and um, and it's something that uh, I'm, I'm very proud of, uh, you know, for the band. That's uh, you know these records that we made, and especially the Edges of Twilight. It's something that um, it sounds as fresh today as it did then, you know, and um, it's not um, it's not stuck in a uh, you know a time warp or anything like that. It's um, the edges of twilight is still um, relevant. You know, um, young bands are getting turned on to it even even as we speak. You know, so uh, it's still a big influence and something that we're very proud of. I would agree with you. I think it still does sound fresh, and I still think it sounds relevant. I think it's timeless music. You know. Uh, let's move on to the next track. We're into track seven. We're halfway through the record at this particular time. Turn the Lamp Down Low. Tell me about that one. Um, turn the Lamp Down Low. I mean, I, I grew up um, playing blues. You know, my father, a uh, big influence on me. And um, when I started playing guitar around seven years old, uh, he, you know, once he saw that, uh, it was coming pretty naturally to me. Um, you know, he brought out all of his blues records and things like that. So, I had a you know a very very early education um, by all the greats you know BB King, Albert King, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters, um, even going back uh, you know to Blind Willie Johnson and Robert Johnson, Sunhouse, all of that. Yep. So it was it's all been embedded in my psyche, and so you know and with with all great rock and roll you know the blues has to be there somewhere. If yep. it isn't you know then. Um, you know, you end up with like, you know, hair metal bands and things like that, you know, and there's no passion, there's no, you know, heart. But, um, so I just, um, we, uh, we, we wanted to do something with blues on Edges of Twilight, but of course, you know, we didn't want to do anything that was, uh, you know, standard or, you know, traditional. And, um, I was really getting interested at the time in, um, uh, Haitian voodoo. Um, like reading about uh, the the spiritual practice of it, but also really fascinated with the rhythms of Haitian voodoo and and the ceremonies and the drumming and things like that. And I just I wondered if it would be possible 
you know, to make a marriage, uh, an alchemical marriage between the blues, like blues like Muddy Waters, you know, um, really dirty, and Haitian voodoo and put it together, and then at the end, you know, just make it like a psychedelic experience. And um, I think that's exactly what we achieved with Turn the Lamp Down, though. I mean, uh, I remember Ed Stasium and I in Los Angeles when we were doing the mixing of this and uh, and coming up with the ending and all that, uh, you know, with like, it sounds like there's banshees in the distance and everything, and we had the lights down low in the, the control room, and we were even scaring ourselves, you know, so... Uh, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, shadows on the mountainside. You know, we uh, we we played this incredible gig in Calgary. I think it was at the uh, the Republic. I don't know if the Republic still exists. Maybe something else. But anyways, at that time it was the Rock Club in Calgary, and we had like an oversold show and all that. And uh, so a very uh, gracious fan afterwards, um, you know, gave me a brown bag of uh, a certain type of fungus that I'd never tried before. <laughs> But, you know, it's a vegetable, so it's good yeah, for you, right? It's good, yes. And, um, and uh, wow, um, what a trip, like going through the Rocky Mountains in a tour bus for the first time and, you know, just really, um, really getting on a trip. And it was, But it was very positive. It was extremely positive. And, and as I said, like, you know, at the time I was reading a lot about, um, you know, Native uh, Canadian, Native American shamanism. And... Uh, and that poem, actually, the poem came first before uh, the music. And the music, uh, you know, it was just one of those things that like, it's not often in the, the Tea Party's uh, career where the words come first. But okay. in this case, it, uh, you know, it was indeed the case. And um, and the words influenced the music that was to come. And uh, it was, you know, just really gentle, um, you know, rolling uh, finger style on the sixth string. And, you know, Stuart came up with... Uh, a beautiful mandolin part, and you know Jeff, uh, you know playing some um, some Native American um, um, drums, hand drums, and, and rattles and shakers, you know, and it was just uh, I think we really captured uh, the mood and the the sentiments of uh, of the poem. All right, let's move on to uh, drawing uh, drawing down the moon. Tell me about that. One of um, you know one of many guitarists that have influenced me um, over the years, and, and still. To this day, one of my favorites is um, the gypsy jazz guitarist um, Django Reinhardt. Um, I, I I would rate him probably one of the best guitar players of all time. Um, but his music um, it's my it's my go to happy place music, you know. Okay. <laughs> so because I can be quite a dark soul, as we all know, and uh, so it's great. So the Django Reinhardt the gypsy jazz quartet um, that music just really. It's a smile on my face, but his guitar playing and the way that he would play, <clears throat> excuse me, um, like minor scales, um, really intrigued me because it was just something. There was something um, exotic about the way that he played, and, and there was also something very sensual about it as well. And so when we, um, I, I think you know, it was just simply a case of that the tea party. We were just jamming, um, like the thrill is gone, BB King, mm-hmm. and then instead of playing like BB King, I started putting these Django Reinhardt riffs into it and then it just started morphing. You know, as, as Jeff Burroughs was saying with our songs, they just start to evolve naturally. You know, we don't even have to think about it. And um, eventually it, it came into that, you know, um, it's, uh, it became drawing down the moon. And, and um, like I said earlier, 
in the interview, uh, we're really enjoying playing that song now live, uh, which was something that uh, we never thought of doing before. All right, we're we're getting to the end here. Track number ten is okay. You have to help me out in the pronunciation of this because I know I'm going to mess it up. Is it Inanna? Well done. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me about Inanna. Um. Well, uh, Inanna is um, it's one of those songs on the edges of twilight where um, it's almost like uh, as far as the instruments go. Yeah. Um, the only thing that we didn't put on it was the kitchen sink. You know, okay. there is um, there's sitars, there's sarod, there's um, santur, which is a hammered dulcimer from India. Um, you have various um, old analog synthesizers. Um, um, you know, Jeff's playing um, various percussion instruments as well as the drum kit at the end. You know, the heavy guitar that comes in at the end. It's um, there's a lot of backwards stuff on the beginning of that song too and this is pre pro tools era so we had a lot of fun flipping the tapes over experimenting and experimenting and experimenting until we got it right so it took a lot of time back then to get backwards stuff correct so people don't appreciate it now when you can just kind of flip it over in a computer but uh the organic process i don't know it creates happy accidents so. all right uh coming home is the second last track on the record Sounds like it would be the last song on the record, but it's second last in sequencing. Tell me about coming home. Um, well, coming home was, um, you know, I mean, it's it's no secret that uh, you know we're big fans of uh, Led Zeppelin, and I'm yep. certainly you know a huge fan of Jimmy Page and his compositions, and um, you know very envious of, of certainly of his comp- compositions. You know, and uh, one of the songs that uh, I really loved. Um, you know, his uh, the structure of what he composed was um, Ramble On off of Led Zeppelin 2. You know, it's the, uh, again, it's the chiaroscuro, the light and shade between acoustic guitars and then the band kicking in with the electric and all that, right? Yeah. And um, I had, um, you know, as I was starting to build up my uh, my library of uh, tunings, uh, alternate tunings for my guitar um, starting back then, and, uh, and these would be tunings that I'd just come up with myself, you know, it's just sitting around the house with a 12-string acoustic, and it was one of those moments where I came up with, uh, you know, not to be too technical, but it was uh, it's uh, a sort of like an open D minor tuning for guitar players out there. But there's something suspended about it. And um, I just started uh, like I wanted to. I was listening to some like old like uh, country rock stuff, like um, um, Graham Parsons and all that. And uh, and uh, I came up with that riff. And then that beautiful, um, you know, the verse that uh, it was kind of like my take on Ramble On, you know, but um, I guess mine was more in a minor key. And then, um, you know, building it up and when the band kicks in, you know, with that uh, with that rip that cascades down, um, I think it's uh, one of the finer rock moments on the record. All right. And now we're at the end of the record, which is uh, Walk With Me. <laughs> uh, once again, lots of backwards stuff on this one in the beginning. Uh, transitions into the santur, which is a, a hammer dulcimer instrument from India. So the the strings are stretched over these bridges, and the strings uh, ring on. There's no dampers, so uh, lots of sustaining uh, notes on this instrument. And uh, I don't know lyrically. Well, um, it was also uh, <clears throat> probably the beginning. 
of uh, you know my continued um, you know studies, um, uh, you know my my personal spiritual beliefs, uh, you know following the teachings of like uh, Salima, you know Aleister Crowley, things like that. So uh, musically, I wanted um, I wanted the song to uh, match um, the lyrics that I had written. You know, it's very uh, sort of a esoteric love letter. Uh, gets kind of dark, but uh, you know the music needed to reflect it. So there's a there's a real sort of um, beautiful menace um, to walk with me, especially when the band kicks in and the way it finishes. And um, you know I love the guitar tones on it because uh, again it was um, a lot of my experimenting with the direct guitar sounds using just like the actual recording console, no amplifiers, things like that. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was just the perfect way to uh, to end. Um, um, quite an exotic journey. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys going through this entire album. We probably spent as much time explaining it as it would be to listen to it. Did you ever sit down and actually listen to the Edges of Twilight in its entirety from one end to the other at any point recently at all? Yeah, I, uh, well, back home in Australia before I flew over to do this tour, um, I think I listened to it uh, for a week straight. You know, just to get it, you know, just to get it in my head and you know get the muscle memory. Um, working again, you know, because there's a there's a hell of a lot going on, as as you saw, you know, at the show in Hamilton, and yeah. uh, but um, yeah, and but I tell you that uh, I didn't get tired of listening to it though, because every time I listen to it, and I'm sure um, listeners would agree, you find something new. And that was going to oh, be really my... interesting. I'm going to go listen to it for the first time in a while now. Uh, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of curious, Jeff. What did you hear maybe when you heard it back? you know, for that week that you maybe, you, what did you hear that maybe you didn't hear in the past? What did you discover about the Tea Party in this album that, you know, maybe you, you didn't see because you're so close to it or, you know, time has moved on? Well, for me, uh, Jeff Rose speaking, yeah. um, I forgot about the amount of African percussion type stylings that we were working on within it, like the, the rhythm wheels and so on, where um, you would say a song is in 4-4, four, four, but the rhythm wheel will take you literally from, you know, 4 over 1 and, and, and 3 over 1 and then wind up back into a 4-4 four, four kind of time signature frame. And when you listen to especially a song like um, Walk With Me, where you essentially can't find beat 1 until the, the melodic instruments come in over top of the percussion, um, you can hear these rhythm wheels in the background played with these African shakers that we had acquired. And um, if you, if you listen with headphones, it's, it's a, quite a different experience. I mean, you, you really get, you know, those, those landscapes that, that Jeff and uh, Ed created in, in the mix and in the placements uh, of everything. So for me, you know, it's always great to have a great rock song that comes and blows your way and tears your face off. But if, you're able to turn it down and put headphones on and listen to it and, and dissect it a little bit. Um, you really get to hear a lot of the intricacies that you don't get to hear, um, just say, over a regular broadcast. And is that it? Yeah, that's it. Boys, thank you so much for this. I can't thank you enough. Uh, an in-depth uh, look at the Tea Party's Edges of Twilight album. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. Thanks very much, Paul.